Welcome to episode 10 of season 2 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Wednesday the 16th of March 2022. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and I'm joined by my co-host Jack Chambers and today we will be talking about vehicle ads that are now available to US customers on Google, how to debug missing pages in Screaming Frog Crawls and the long, long awaited launch of... Also asked.com. Search for Canada is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. Go to systrix.com slash SWC if you want to check out some of their excellent free tools, such as a SERP snippet validator, on-page analysis, href lang validator, HB comparison, and tracking your site's visibility index. That's systrix.com slash SWC for free SEO tools and to sign up for a free trial of their premium tools which I'll be discussing in a bit more detail later on in the show. So, vehicle ads are now available to US advertisers on Google. This is an amazing breakthrough. It is, because we, we touched on this briefly with the Bing side of things a few episodes ago, right? And you very rightly predicted this will probably come through to Google at some point soon. And here we are, sort of four or five episodes later. We've got some stuff coming through on Google. Very exciting stuff. Yeah, I was reading this and I was like, oh, cool. The car thing's coming. Hang on a minute. <laughs> I read this five episodes ago. <laughs> so, yes, Google have just copied Bing, basically. <laughs> I'll read out the Google announcement and then we will talk very briefly about it and what it is. So Google says, starting in March 2022, which is now, Vehicle ads will become available to all U.S. advertisers. Boo. Always to the U.S. first. Never. Yeah, ne we never get it here in Britain. We first, never get it first. No. no. We, we do with film releases now, though, which is nice. Oh, really? We often get them a few days ahead of the U.S. It used to be that we'd be weeks or even months behind the U.S. releases, but these days we tend to get it ahead of time, which is lovely. I would ask you why, but I feel like we're going to open up a big can of it's worms a, it's a and whole then tangent. go off on a... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, vehicle ads... <laughs> we'll expand to more countries at a later date. We're not given the date, so we don't know when we will get them. But this is what Google says. They say, vehicle ads are a performance-focused, omni-channel, lower-funnel ad format which allows auto-advertisers to promote their entire inventory of vehicles to interested customers shopping for vehicles on Google.com. Performance-focused, omni-channel, lower-funnel ad format. It's like my least favorite combination of marketing spiel words I've heard in a long time. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Does describe what it does. So that it, it's not kind of too waffly, but God, that's some typical marketing spiel. So basically, it's going to show vehicle ads to ones that are near you. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. So Google goes on to say this format shows customers an image of the car plus information such as make, model, price, miles, and advertiser name. Basically, exactly what you'd expect the you know basic information about. Well, I'm buying a car. What make is it? What make um, what model is yep, it? How far sense. is it driven? So I like this bit. Clicking on the vehicle ad takes the customer to the vehicle description page, and they've put in brackets here VDP. It's going to be the new hot thing. All us SEOs are going to be talking about. All the PPC people will be like, oh yeah, I want to get on that VDP, man. Going to optimize my VDPs. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> The VDP, the vehicle description page, 
which again just sounds like a kind of a I'll be honest just a very fancy way of describing the page that is just about the vehicle with all the stuff we it's just said. It's a landing page is what it is, yeah. <laughs> so customers from here can perform further actions such as contacting the dealer, filling out a lead form, it, it literally says etc. I guess they ran out of ideas. I feel like I'm being very sarcastic today, <laughs> you are, but you are. I'm, I'm sorry, moods. but basically they've copied Bing. It's super simple. They're going to show these vehicle ads. What's interesting out of this is how you do it, which is to participate in this, you need to upload your vehicle feed to Google Merchant Center, um, which is how you're getting this information across. So again, it's another, like we're talking about with the Bing thing, it's another place where you need to provide structured data to enable them to show these kind of richer search results. Google, again, like Bing, I was a bit skeptical for Bing before as well. And Google, again, have given a, some case studies where they say advertisers who complemented their existing search campaigns with vehicle ads saw a plus 25% average increase in conversions during beta testing. Again, I probably wouldn't expect that much of an uplift as a regular and of seller of vehicles. I think these are very carefully picked ones, but again, there's no reason why it shouldn't help. But these are currently live in the US. They're coming hopefully to the UK at some point, um, but I think really helpful for consumers and of course, anyone selling automobiles. So let's move on to some debugging of page crawlers, shall we? It's a great little article from the fine folks over at Screaming Frog, a tool we use on pretty much on a daily basis here at Canda, and I have used pretty much ever I've worked as an SEO, pretty much. It's a pretty essential tool these days, I'd say, in terms of crawling. And, and they want to talk about how to debug missing pages in a crawl. So this is a page you know is on your website, but you've done a crawl on Screaming Frog and you can't find it. And it turns out this is a very frequently asked question for people using Screaming Frog, unsurprisingly. Yeah, they go into a bit more detail and basically they summarize how the crawler works and then go through the processes about how you may be able to debug this issue and, and get around and work out why it might not have been picked up by the crawler. So I'll read some of the text straight away from Screaming Frog here. One of the most frequently asked questions is why is the SEO spider not finding all my pages? And why is this URL or section not being crawled? Sometimes it's literally just, why is this tool not working properly? <laughs> Learning how to debug missing pages is an important skill set as an SEO as it can help identify potential issues with crawling and indexing, or at the very least provide you with better technical understanding of the site setup when working to improve organic visibility. It's important to remember the fundamentals of how a crawler like Screaming Frog SEO Spider works to understand why it might not be able to discover pages. And this is interesting, they do define how the SEO Spider, and for those of you who have used Screaming Frog but never actually looked into the details of it, it's an interesting little thing. This is the quote from Screaming Frog. The SEO Spider discovers links by scanning the HTML code for the A tags with an href attribute from the start page of a crawl. It will then crawl these links to discover more links. So it is internal links, folks. That is how an SEO spider like Screaming Frog finds everything. The crawl is breadth first, meaning it will crawl URLs at the present depth before moving on to crawling URLs at the next depth level, meaning it will crawl from the start page first, then crawl all the URLs that page links to, moving on further and further until it completes the crawl. They have a great little kind of infographic about how to debug missing pages. Is it linked? Is it indexed? Do I know what pages are linking to this page and all this kind of stuff? It's a really, really useful little article. If you have had trouble finding why you can't crawl certain pages using Screaming Frog or 
certain pages are not indexed or whatever it is. It's a really useful article, as of course, links in the show notes. You can go to search.withcanda.co.uk and we'll link directly to Screaming Frog's article there to give you all the details. Yeah, I think it's really good fundamental knowledge for everyone to have. So we've got lots of desktop crawling, especially tools now that are quite advanced in how they discover and crawl pages and, and URLs when I still like doing, apart from connecting everything up to analytics and search console, doing the most basic kind of crawl, which is just crawl the website, don't render any JavaScript, just find me. Follow all the links and just see what comes out, right? Yeah, yeah. A tags with hrefs in the in the raw HTML, because that is how Googlebot is working on the most basic level. That is the fundamental structure of that website, and that is so important for so many things we do in, in SEO. So Google's said a couple of times now that I believe it's the median time in which they render the JavaScript after you know doing a crawl like this is like five seconds or something ridiculously fast now. And I was really skeptical about this for ages because I've seen and I've done tests where you maybe change something on the page with JavaScript and in some cases, it was days or weeks before you saw that page updated with the, the JavaScript. What I actually learned after much back and forth um, between it was, it was actually Martin Split was, and I, I probably should have realized this, that the rendering of that JavaScript and the indexing of the rendered version are actually still two separate things, meaning say you had some links that were only discoverable with JavaScript. And I was looking at, I know it's not the best way, but like the cached page and being like, oh, it still hasn't found those links. It still could have rendered the JavaScript, found those links, gone off, crawled them, and it just hasn't pushed that JavaScript version to the index yet, it hasn't been indexed. And that goes alongside what we've been seeing recently anyway with, it does seem to be taking ages for anything to get indexed at the moment. And something we touched on very briefly when we, we've been talking about index now a lot. And the fact that it's called index now again is kind of a misleading thing. It's crawl now, not index now. And having being aware of that distinction is so important when it comes to stuff like JavaScript and, and things like this. So yeah, I think really interesting piece from Screaming Frog and something to keep in your back pocket for sure. Yeah, so this guide again is helpful because you'll probably find anyway because Google's good at discovering pages and as you said Screaming Frog is is only using internal links whereas it's very likely that some stuff has got indexed because of external links so you know fundamentally if, if you if you have a page you want ranking and you don't link to it internally you've got a big problem because firstly how are users going to find that if they yeah, can't actually yeah. click on it I mean the only kind of exception to this I guess is if you have pages that are accessible through things maybe like drop downs that change URLs because search engines won't use those. Therefore, they'll be difficult to index, but they can get indexed if, if you trigger those URLs and then they get linked to externally. So there are as well kind of next steps which you can, can look at. We've talked about it on Sitebulb doing this before, whereby you connect up Google Analytics and a really useful report is to see which URLs you are getting organic search traffic to that might be orphaned. So that's 
the terminology for a URL within your site structure that isn't linked to internally is, is orphaned. So it's just a URL that exists. So I think that's a really interesting topic in general to read about, which is actually when you start scratching the surface, there are lots of actually in this case, in this case, in this case, that there might be URLs which are indexable, but not discoverable in your internal link structure. There may be uh, URLs which are discoverable to users, which are not discoverable even on a JavaScript crawl. There are URLs which are discoverable on a JavaScript crawl, but not an HTML crawl. So doing those different types of crawls, seeing and debugging which page is missing is super, not basic knowledge, I'd say fundamental knowledge, yeah, because it's not yeah. basic as a, the concept's basic, but there's a lot to learn there. So really good guides, yeah, to kick that off with. So I touched on the free tools from Systrix at the top of the show. I want to dive into a few more of the paid features here, specifically looking at the SERPs side of things. So how you can analyze your SERPs and the different features that Systrix includes from a free perspective and from a paid perspective as well. And I was playing around with it earlier today, having a look at some of our clients here at Canda and using this to analyze your keyword overlap with competitors. I think that's an essential thing when it comes to working with a website from a search perspective. You might have a clear idea from your business side of things or from your sales team who your competitors are. They might not be the same competitors from a search perspective. This is specifically looking at keyword overlap and what other websites are ranking for similar keywords to you and yeah, basically getting an idea of who your competitors are on the search engine result pages. You can also look at search intent and they categorize it by four different ways. I know we've touched on this previously and we've talked about it quite a lot in the studio here as well with SEMrush introducing their search intent side of things. With Systrix, they categorize it by know, do, website, and visit. And they're four different categories and getting an idea of the intent of the user and why they would be visiting that page. Then SERP snippets, which you can get a little taster of from the free tool side of things. You can do that one URL at a time and basically get an idea of what your page will look like on a search engine result page. With the paid version, you get that or your whole domain straight away and you can scroll through and have a look at all your different pages and how they're presented there. When you get into a bit more detail, you go down to the compare snippet side of things and you can see how your pages look on SERPs for different keywords. So the, the actual snippets themselves can change. So what the users are gonna see on those search and result pages, you will see different things depending on what keyword you're ranking for, which I think is interesting. And something I think a lot of people, I know I've kind of not been aware of that, particularly in the past, like they do actually change the snippets depending on what keyword people are searching for and what search term you are ranking for. So be aware of that as well and make sure you have relevant content for that that makes sense in your titles and in your content. Feature snippets, I know we've covered this before as well. You can see what pages on your site have feature snippets for relevant search terms, nice and straightforward. If you don't have them, you can go and hunt them out. And if you do, you can see what you're doing right with your structured data and all that kind of stuff. And lastly, the SERP environment. So you can see the kind of spread. So if you've got paid stuff running along with organic stuff and, and how it all breaks down into things like the main organic sort of text, organic results, featured snippets, organic results with site links, uh, locations, local searches, Google Shopping, Google Ads, all that kind of stuff. And you get a percentage breakdown across your site of how that kind of breaks down. Are you mostly being seen in ads, mostly being seen organic with site links, all that kind of stuff. So very, very useful information looking at the site as a whole as well. And before we wrap up on Systrix, I'd give a little tease because soon we'll be able to talk about the live data side of things 
from Systrix, and they've been working on something for quite a while now. I know it's been in the Systrix Labs side of thing, which is their kind of testing facility that have with certain users. And I've got a little uh, little preview here from Systrix. The Systrix Visibility Index has been available as a live indicator for some time, but we're getting ready to roll out live keyword SERP data across the toolbox very soon. Live data is there because we want to deliver the latest data as we get it. That includes all the latest SERPs along with the minute that we crawled them so you can be as up to date as possible. We crawl millions of keyword SERPs on a daily basis and no keyword SERP will be more than 30 days old. This will apply to all 40 countries and for mobile data and it will always show the latest value. Particularly useful potentially on core update days as things are shifting around. Like I said, this is available now in the Systrix Labs if you're part of that and subscribe to that. If you are not, it will be rolled out to all Systrix users very soon. So in this part of the show, I am going to cover something that I've been wanting to cover for like two, literally two years, years yeah. now. Yeah. So that is this Monday, the 14th. So a couple of days ago, we finally pushed our version one of AlsoAsked.com live. Yay. Yay. Congratulations, Mark. <laughs> so um, I'm aware a bunch of you may already be aware of Also Asked. For those that aren't, I just want to give a quick overview about what it is. And even for those maybe that have used it before, I just wanted to give some context as to where it sits within the landscape of various different tools and how it fits in strategically with kind of content creation, SEO content, PPC, because the actual talk basically I'm doing this year at Brighton SEO is going to be all about zero volume and long tail searches. And actually the reason that I chose to spoke about that topic is over the last couple of years, the number one feature request we've had or also asked is basically, can you please add monthly search volume data? Can you add search volumes? When will search volumes be added? And that has told me that maybe some people are thinking about the data wrongly because basically if you took all of the search terms on the average tree of an also asked set of results, the sum of all the search volume would be zero. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really interesting because so many people get hung up on search volume. It's such a driving factor for keyword research for so many people. And if it has zero, then don't even bother kind of thing. I think I've heard that from people in digital marketing before. But what you can do with Also Asked, and weird enough, Also Asked was how I first heard of Canda, funnily enough. Uh, it's a little <laughs> key part of my journey coming here and ending up hosting the podcast with you. But yeah, I think it's an interesting thing because, yeah, like you said, it, it goes underappreciated and also ask, allows you to, allows users to get stuck into that kind of stuff without kind of getting hung up in all the keyword search volume kind of stuff. You can just look at it from a, for one better phrase, like a raw content perspective. You're looking at the questions people are actually asking and are you able to answer them? It, it kind of distills it down and keeps it nice and simple in that way without getting bogged down in loads of numbers and stuff, which I think can cause people to be put off by certain things. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I think a good place to start here would actually be to reverse out and talk about actually a different tool 
which is answer the public, which mm. a lot of people will know about. And it's, it's probably the number one question I had for ages, which is, oh, is this another version of answer the public when they, they saw also asked? So I just want to explain the differences between these two tools and actually answer your question or the, the thing you posed there about people also ask data. So for those that know answer the public, answer the public is a tool that uses Google suggest data. So Google suggest data is when you start typing something into a Google search box, it will give you a suggestion. And what answer the public does and what it's amazing at and what I've loved and used this tool for ages is it prepends and prepends and appends all of these searches for you with how, what, why, and with verses to give you a whole range of categorized different suggestions. So it does a huge amount of legwork for you. Now that is a different set of data to also asked. So also asked uses people also ask data, which is a different set of data. And the you've main... ever been on a SERP, you see the little drop down boxes with questions and you click on them and stuff. You will see it. It says people also ask above it. That is the data we're pulling from and also ask, right? Exactly. And the, the difference in terms of usage here is answer the public. For me, at least I use that to pick a topic, to pick a set of intent to write about. Answer the public will generally only work well with like one or two um, word key phrases because it, it is expanding those key phrases itself. And the topics it will give you back, um, there'll be some overlap that need clustering, but generally there'll be like different pages of different content. Whereas with people also ask results and therefore the results you get from alsoask.com, I use that for once you have picked this is the topic I'm going to write about. When you then Google that topic, the questions essentially are very tightly related to that question or that, that key phrase search. It's a lot more focused from my experience. I'm using both tools. And like I said, I used them independently before I started working here at Canda. So you uh, take this with a, a, a pinch of honesty, the opposite of a pinch of salt. <laughs> I was using both tools independently before I came and worked at Canda and had noticed the difference kind of objectively before I was kind of, you know, behind the curtain, behind the scenes at Canda and understanding how the actual thing works. But yeah, I think it's a very clear difference. If you really, really look at the results and you just have the two side by side and you're searching for similar kind of things around a topic that your site is relevant for or whatever it is, I think you can quickly tell there is a big difference between how focused also asked is compared to the more general kind of categorizable stuff that you get from Answer the Public. So to give you an example, um one I recently used for a client was I use Answer the Public to search for, say, jigsaw puzzles, and it will return topics such as um, what is the jigsaw puzzle with the most pieces and what are the benefits of doing jigsaw puzzles, right? So they, for instance, would be two separate things I would write about. But then I take that question, like, what's the benefit of doing jigsaw puzzles? And if you search for that in Answer the Public, you'll get no results because that's too long for it to handle. But if you put that in also ask, then it will give you questions like, um, what are the developmental advantages for children doing puzzles? Do puzzles increase your IQ? Uh, all these really specific questions, which are essentially just little tangents from the, the main question. And why it's so powerful is that the search engine is essentially saying to you, 
this is the kind of things that people also want to know. Yeah, literally what's on the tin, people also <laughs> What they ask. have also asked. But <laughs> that to me is, is you know, a, a search engine is trying to rank the best possible answer and there's going to be like a probability in that, i.e. here's two articles, I think probability-wise this one gives the best answer. So for me, it's absolute 101 that you should be considering those questions because they increase your chances of ranking not even necessarily getting in a paa but actually just ranking i think it comes from a more general kind of marketing term the they ask you answer terminology that a lot of people use so if you know your customers and in this case people who are searching for things relevant to your site are asking these questions if you can provide the answers then you know you can be there to provide value to your users whether that's directly through answering the question or using that as a way to bring them onto your site and get them to go through a particular user journey and convert or whatever. It's very, very key information to know what your customers are asking about your products or your services or related topics or whatever it is and get an idea of how you can answer them best through your service pages or your product pages or even a blog post or an FAQ even. Having multiple ways of answering these questions can be so key for getting new users in and bringing new customers to your site. So when we get these PAA results, uh, generally you'll normally get around four of these questions. And if you've used them before, you'll know when you click on them, what happens is they kind of concertina out and then you get another little branch of questions coming from that question. So basically what AutoAsk does is you put in one of these questions, these key phrases, and it will build a visual graph for you of the first couple of branches of those questions and, and related questions. And the way it works as a, as a service essentially is there's three tiers. You pick one and you get between 100 and 1,000 different searches a month. You can export those images, which I found are amazing for client pitches. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. So if you're pitching content um, to a client, if you don't really know anything about their um, niche, you don't need to because it gives you such a great um, way of saying, well, look, here's some content that you've written. You put it in also asked and then immediately you're like, oh, look, you could have answered these five things as well. Absolutely. Like I said, I had used this before I came work, working here at Canada and I'd used it for that precisely that purpose of explaining you have content on your site, but you're not answering the questions that people are asking. And because the also asked data is so visual with that image export, it works so well as part of presentations and stuff like that. It's such a clear thing. You can see the branches coming off from each other essentially and you can delve deeper you can click on those little nodes and go further and deeper into particular topics as well it's a really interesting way of visually explaining that rather than just kind of because you can also do a, a csv export as well right mark so you can you can lay it out and, and include it in a more kind of data-driven way but i think having that visualization side of things is really really useful especially if you're getting people to buy in higher level people kind of like what tom critchlow and i talked about a few episodes ago that getting the executives to buy in, getting the, the new clients to come on board as part of a proposal or whatever it is, that kind of stuff. And having the visual representation that it's not just a bunch of, as I said, like SEO numbers and data just chucked at people. You can actually explain it visually is really, really useful communicating people who are less technical and not necessarily inside on the SEO industry. I like using the visuals anyway, just for kind of like general inspiration mm. as well. But yeah, the CSV uh, export is there for when you do just want to dump data on people and maybe put it into other tools. Um, on the top tier on the pro account, we've got um, bulk searches as well. So you can export 
potentially keywords from another tool, upload them as CSV, and that will kind of churn away and just email you a, a big zip file of CSVs with all of the questions for all of the topics. And we will be releasing API access eventually for the, for the pro. Um, we haven't done that yet for a bunch of reasons. PAA is if anyone's tried and not the easiest thing to wrestle from Google, but they are important. So I'm going to link in the show notes to an SEM rush study on PAAs. And there's just some really great um, facts in there if you are considering them from a strategic perspective, which is that in general, they appear on around about 50% of searches. So any random search, one in two will have PAA. That is higher than I was expecting. It's pretty. I mean, we've talked about percentages of searches before, like, oh, 2%. That's a lot because there's millions of searches. 50% is a significant number. Well, what's really cool as well is they've done a breakdown of uh, questions. So th that means queries start with things or contain things like can, does, are, why, etc. And the percentage of SERPs with PAAs then are generally over 90%. So, <laughs> yeah. So when you have these specific kind of intent questions, Google knows there's a whole bunch of other questions. And they've given some other um, data as well about the probability of triggering um, featured snippets and PAAs with the number of words in a query. And it's just this really nice linear increase as, as you go. If you've got a one word search, uh, one word query, there's like a 16% chance from their study of producing a featured snippet with a PAA all the way up to if you've got 10 words of pretty much any search Really, term, really long tail search there. Yeah, yeah, you're up to like 70%. And actually, you know, these searches as well, the majority of searches will tend to be more detailed nowadays. Um, so while you do have a high uh, monthly volume of these generic searches, there's loads and loads of the searches that, especially now, um, and this is, I'll touch on this at Brighton SEO, but you know, all these Google updates we've had around BERT and just passage about to bring up BERT, thing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So this, this has really opened up the um, kind of Google lens on what they can discover and what they can rank and them understanding the content actually increases your chance of ranking now. Whereas before they were leaning quite heavily, they still do, but they used to lean a lot more heavily on things like link metrics and just be like, well, don't really know what you're asking precisely, but here's a site with a lot of links. And I think that comes with more and more people just Googling something or using a search engine. I know Googling is now the verb for it because of course it is. But more people using that just on a day-to-day -day basis all the time. And people grow up using search engines nowadays. I know Mark and I are old enough to remember days before search engines, but I know some of the younger listeners probably grew up using them, you know, in your childhood. and to go through these more complicated, more complex search terms, I remember the days when you would just type in like three or four words and just hope for the best and just be like, where buy car? And be like, uh-oh. <laughs> Whereas now you can like, where to buy a specific model in this specific area with this type of thing and this amount of mileage and all this kind of stuff. And we touched on vehicle ads earlier, so maybe more of an ad-focused thing. But you can go for much longer queries and much longer questions these days. And what's the percentage of new searches every day? I know you. It's around fifteen percent. Fifteen percent new searches every single day. That is a staggering number, and I think yeah, long long tail searches are becoming more and more common. And I think the example we touched on a few episodes of with Bert, as you mentioned, Mark, is such an interesting side of Google and them trying to understand what people are looking for. And this 
ties very neatly into all of that as well. So I've held on for many years to my book, which is called The Alta Vista Search Revolution. <laughs> and it was all about uh, basically using Alta Vista to explore the internet. And I, I've kept it because I thought it's, it's just really interesting, like a whole book as a concept of a, you know, explaining people how to use a search engine. And <laughs> I just remember this one bit and it's like, imagine you want to discover some local dancing lessons to you or some more information about dancing in your area. You could go to Alta Vista and try the search dancing. <laughs> Can you imagine trying that in Google in just, 2022? It, it just seems so quaint because the internet or the web, I should say, was so much smaller. It even gives like the, I think it was like the top thousand most searched for things on the internet. And they're all just really like cute, quaint little things people are searching for. And that, <laughs> because search engines have got so much better and expectations have gone up, et cetera, et cetera, like searches are way more complex and nuanced now. You know, you're not just searching for dancing anymore. Anyway, we, we digress. Uh, one thing I want to finish on, I guess, is just, again, talking about some other tools. And one that's come up a couple of times is searchresponse.io, which is another tool that provides people also ask information. And there's a couple of other tools like it that uh, people have kind of compared to also ask, especially now also ask has obviously got paid plans. So searchresponse.io is still in their beta. I don't know if they'll be in beta as long as us. That would be a challenge. Uh, but <laughs> Have you got the record now, do you think? <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> SEO tool record. But um, yeah, they're, they're, they're a, a neat little tool that's in beta. And, you know, I had some people say to me, oh, well, look, you're trying to charge money now. So we're going to go and use that tool, which, you know, my sponsor is always like, cool, fine. If you want to do that, that's fine. <laughs> but they are fundamentally different as well. And while I understand, obviously, some people always want um, kind of like a, a free version, I just want to explain very quickly the sort of differences between these tools. So as I as I said, alsoask.com, it works by essentially going and getting the live people also ask result from the time at which you did the search. And one of the reasons that's very important is those PAA results can change hourly. Yeah, we talked about this um talking about in the studio a few weeks ago i think where somebody went to like an event or something there was a big gala and then i think it was like kim kardashian as an example and you put kim kardashian in and suddenly all the paa stuff is what was she wearing what's the dress all this kind of stuff and that shifted like minute by minute you could almost see as like oh now somebody else has come out onto the red carpet and now everybody's talking about their latest film or their latest the thing that they're wearing at this gala and all this kind of stuff and yeah, I think having that, if you want to stay topical and you want to keep on those topics and trends as, as quickly as you can, having live data is pretty essential, right? Yeah, so the, I mean, having a first mover advantage in content for SEO is always a big advantage, even if it's, even if it's not news. And this is why when we talked about like Systrix earlier and they're talking about that's pretty amazing, they're going to keep everything, you know, within 30 days, search result wise for all these keywords. Again, there's a different place for also ask because essentially there's pretty much unlimited versions of these questions you can ask that you can't track on a SERP tool like that. So it's very kind of like spear phishing for these questions. But yeah, so that's one reason, which is you get this live data. So that's what also ask does. So search response and a couple of other tools, what they're actually doing, and this is what some of the bigger tools are doing with their PAA data, is this is a pre 
kind of scraped database of these are just the PAA questions we've seen while we've done other searches. So while searches have happened, they've seen the four or five questions and just grabbed them. Which means if you did a search, say for like best running shoes, what would happen with also asked is it would search for best running shoes, it would get the PAA. And I had a look at this result yesterday and it in the third level of the kind of branch you get you know, is this a good brand of running shoe? What shoes does Usain Bolt wear? These kind of questions. Because of the way these tools work, like search response that scrape the PAAs and store them in a database, the way they match them is just by saying, which of these queries have we seen contain the words best and running and shoes? Why, in my opinion, that's not as good is because matching the string is not the same as matching the intent. If I am trying to understand which are the best running shoes, my question might be, like, what are the top brands of shoes? Or um, what are the best jogging shoes? Or what shoes does Usain Bolt wear? None of those questions will ever show up in those tools because they don't contain the word that you've searched for, best running shoes. So you're actually missing out on serving the intent that we should be including in our article. And the other downside as well is, of course, for the new search terms, um, you, you just don't get as many results um, because the database that update. You know, that said, if they are free, if they are cheaper, there's no reason you shouldn't use, you know, free tools. There's no downside to using a free tool, right? Um, but the point for me of also asked is to better understand searcher behavior, searcher intent, which again, for me, long-term is the core to writing good content and the core essentially to ranking well. Um, and that's how you best do it. So again, I'm not overly worried which tool people want to use, but I just want to make people aware there is a massive difference. And that's why it took us a long time to, to develop this, this tool, because there is a specific reason we're doing it that way. And we've worked hard to make it work that way, because that's, I think, the highest value data you can get to write the best content to make stuff better than your competitors. And that is everything we have got time for in this episode. We'll be back, of course, in one week's time, which will be Monday, the 28th of March. From myself and Jack Chambers, we both hope you have a lovely week and hope you tune in then. Bye.